Church, aren't you tired, even sick of pain and suffering? And if you're not, you're probably young. And if you're not, I bet you are more than you know. For example, how much time do you spend avoiding the mere thought of your own pains and the sufferings of others through distraction? I mean, why is there so much pain everywhere? Some of you perhaps feel today, man, if I just get one more message, one more call, one more update, you're going to have to put me in the ground. In the Old Testament, illness, uncleanness, it it pointed to mankind's decay. It reminded the reader and those present in the Old Testament times that we are all unfit for God's holy presence. We are corruptible. He is not. That which is corruptible cannot merely dwell with the one who's perfect, holy, and incorruptible. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? You ever feel that? My goodness, is there any hope? Well, there is. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 1. As you're turning there, let me give a little background and context. Mark wrote his Gospel, this, this book here, to persuade readers to entrust their lives to Jesus because he is the promised salvation of God, of sinners from sin and death. Mark assumes that we know already that the Old Testament revealed promises that God would act to redeem his people through his son. That God would appear in the flesh to serve and to rule. How? How? Well, if you know the Old Testament, it's, it's through, first, him coming as the suffering servant. To suffer in our place. The punishment we deserve for our sins. And then also as the triumphant king who would make all things new. The death of Christ can effectively atone for any sin. God in Christ calls not the righteous, those who think they're so good, who boast about their righteousness, but sinners, those who know they are guilty before God, to repent and trust in Jesus alone, to follow him right now. So Jesus is the one and only Savior from God's wrath. In our context this morning, we're seeing him going forward, preaching the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom of God is now near. God, the kingdom has come present in Christ in the flesh. And he's preaching to sinners to come and repent and believe and right now. Because one day the kingdom is going to be consummated. And that will, that'll be, there'll be no more time. Now is the time to submit to Jesus through faith and, and obedience. And this part of the country where he's preaching... It's just a fantastic place. It's the part of the country that was a no man's land between the world of the Jews in Judea to the south and the world of the Gentiles to the north. Isn't that interesting? It contained a mixture of 
Jews and Gentiles. It was, it was despised by some of the, many of the Jews and, the, and many of the Gentiles. And it was here that the Lord displayed just who he was, who Isaiah said he would be, a root out of dry ground. Mark chapter 1, verse 28 through 34. This is picking up on the heels of him casting out the demon in the synagogue. And so you'll see that this morning's passage is framed up by seeing how news about him is spreading. Verse 28, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, as him and the disciples, those four with him, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is God's word. Amen. In the Old Testament, God says he will heal his people of all their diseases. And the absence of illness is a sign of creation's restoration. Mark unveiled to the original audience and to us that a new reality of God's empowered work was, has come through Messiah. The kingdom of God is bursting forth to change lives. Because we're not just physically corruptible, but spiritually too. What is our hope? Well, everything about Jesus in this text is a picture of when we could not reach mercy, mercy came running to us. He has the power to heal and restore Fully sinners like us to God. You're looking at the one who has the power to completely restore. Here's the central point is there for you in your bulletin. Our world is afflicted and decaying without hope. Our world is afflicted and decaying without hope. Therefore, trust in Christ alone who can restore. Trust in Christ alone who can restore. Point number one, service. Jesus restores us to serve. Jesus restores us to serve. Let's narrow in here on verses 28 through 31. First subpoint: see how personal he is. See how personal he is. Some of you, like to, you like me, you can struggle with the idea that he personally cares for you. And I want to encourage you from the word, he does care about you. And so far in context, we see two remarkably different stories. Look at the previous story, right? Jesus is using power and authority in both of them. The previous section deals with demon possession in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the synagogue. And now with physical illness. One is very public. This one is private. You notice that? So Jesus' authority in relation to human affliction is comprehensive and personal. He's concerned with the physical world, but also 
the spiritual. Not only the spiritual, but notice here, but the physical too. God has plans for the physical as we spent weeks in thinking about 1 Corinthians 15. Peter and Andrew not only brought their friends home with them from the service, they brought the Lord home too. Warren Wiersbe, who went home to be with the Lord a few years ago, maybe just maybe the last year and a half, uh, he noted that this is a good example. Don't leave Jesus at the church. Take him home with you and let him share your blessings and your burdens. What a great picture there. I say that to say, assume Jesus is interested in your home, your neighborhoods and circles. What a privilege Jesus has a guest in their humble home. Isn't that something? And we should think the same as God's people. What a privilege to have Christ in our homes by the Spirit. You know, Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Well, Peter and his family entertained the one whom angels worship. You know, Peter had a wife to support and appears to support her, you know, her mother too. He's a, he's a good son-in-law. He's a good son-in-law. No jokes this morning. We tend to think of the Lord's disciples as being young and unattached, footloose and fancy free. But in Peter's case, at least, that was not so. Peter was married. The one that the Vatican falsely claims is the first pope shows that marriage is normal for Christian leaders. It's clear from 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Timothy 3, that the whole Roman Catholic doctrine of clerical celibacy is utterly opposed to Holy Scripture, which makes sense given the Vatican's high view of man-made tradition and their low view of Scripture. Just, just a note. Just have the facts about Peter. Peter's home seems to have been adopted by the Lord while in Capernaum. What a privilege to say, Lord, all I have is yours. Is that you? Is that your heart this morning? Read, when we, we read that when she was in bed with a fever, they, they told Jesus about her. That's how we know Peter was at least a decent son-in-law, right? He, he told Jesus. It would have been strange indeed if Christ had sat down to his meal but left the suffering woman to toss upon her bed and Peter's wife to run to and fro distracted by her mother's cries. Look how personal he is and encouraged by God's personal touch unto his people. The touch of our Lord reveals not only Jesus' authority to heal, but also his compassion and empathy for the sufferer. We need to see that about Jesus, don't we? God cares about us. And by faith, the men told Jesus about the sick woman, no doubt expecting him to heal her. Knowing how personal he was, they took Jesus this problem. They took it to Jesus. J.C. Ryle, I quoted him last week. He was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. If you can pick up anything by J.C. Ryle, buy it online, read it. You'll be encouraged, especially his book on holiness. But he said there in his commentary on Mark, he said, we must use whatever means are available in time of need without question. In cases of sickness, we should send for doctors when property or, 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 or character needs defense. Consult lawyers. We should seek the help of friends. But still, after all, the first thing to be done is to cry to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. No one can relieve us so effectively as he can. 
No one is so compassionate and willing to relieve, end quote. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I catch myself reaching first to self for help and self-means and connection rather than stopping and asking Christ for help. We should cry out more unto the Lord. How long do we need to go on in our ways to learn this? Did you stop and pray? Did you even, you and I, do we pray and seek the Lord? It takes no profit to foretell that we will all Every one of us endure suffering before we die. Some of you are suffering tremendously this morning. Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Maybe you're like me. You need to be encouraged to take more things to Christ. Beloved, in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, take your needs to God. Let us at once tell Jesus. Let us tell him. And let's assume that he's interested and personal. Maybe today you need to be told God loves you. Because he created you. And he desires your, your, your greatest joy, which is to know him and worship him through Christ. Come to Jesus. My question for you this morning is who is better than Jesus? Second sub point see how authoritative he is. See how authoritative he is. Look again here how Mark does not allow us to picture Jesus as a traveling healer with a set technique but as a man of authority who responds as may be appropriate to differing needs as he meets them. You know, fever, and you can't miss this in the text. Mark is brilliant under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A fever meant more to the original audience who read this because they associated God's judgment on Israel for breaking the covenant. If you know, if you read through Deuteronomy, for example. I think this detail about the fever highlights Jesus' healing in such a way to testify to God's coming to restore his people. The original audience would have understood this is the power of God. The fact that disease vanished at his touch is no more incredible than the demons that fled at his word. What would have been incredible is if these things had not happened. He is the creator of the universe, in control of all factors at all times space and matter, and now manifest in the flesh. Omniscient knowledge, omnipotent power at his disposal to grant restoration. Uh, look what Mark is doing here in showing, in sh- in showing that the casting this, this power of Christ on the, on the Sabbath too. Do you notice? He's, he's doing this on the Sabbath. That's also, Mark knows exactly what he's writing here. The Sabbath pointed to the goal of God for his people to rest eternally. Mark is showing early who the Lord of the Sabbath is. The long for Sabbath was the coming of the dominion of God where there's no more suffering. Only rest and restoration. 
you know, everybody needs a Sabbath. We were made that way. But what we all really need is eternal rest and restoration to be made new. So Jesus is beginning his healing work here on the Sabbath should be seen as a, a foretaste of greater and final rest to come. It, isn't this brilliant? It's fantastic. See how Mark's putting this here, helping us see this. We can hardly imagine a, a creation relieved, not just of the toil and turmoil of a fallen world, but of disease, decay, and death. We can't fathom that. We've never known anything but death and decay around us. And when you think about it from this perspective, there was no better time then to heal a person than on the Sabbath as an indicator that the ultimate Sabbath was coming and it's going to come in this king. Praise the Lord. Makes me want to shout. I used, I used to be a Baptocostal, just letting you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I mean, you want rest for your soul and one day for your body? Come to Jesus. Can't you see what Mark is saying to you? Look here again. Like when fever leaves you, for example, it takes time for you to regain your strength. But not so in this case. She was able to serve the Lord immediately. And isn't service to our Lord one of the best ways to thank Him for all He's done for us? And then what we read about in the Psalms this morning? This brings me to this next subpoint. See how transformative He is. See how transformative He is. The purpose of healing is to empower. For service. She got out of bed, began to serve the needs of her guest, which probably means she prepared food for them. Secular philosophies would argue here that this woman is being demeaned. That's a misreading of the text. There is no negative or demeaning sense in her actions of service. Even the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. Moms, dads, children in the home, don't think it's demeaning to be called upon to serve, to take out the trash, to change a diaper, to prepare a meal, to clean toilets, and other duties. When we serve others, we follow Jesus. How many dads need to be reminded that their service isn't over after the workday? Or that they don't need to waste precious time watching more television or projects that neglect first responsibilities? How many moms need to be reminded that they should be busy caring well for their young children and not busy bodying with this world's priorities and wasting precious time on social media or settings that take you away from first responsibilities? How many young people need to see they were called to serve God rather than be raised to be another generation of consumers? Young people, how long Will you call yourself a Christian and contribute really not much or not much good to the home and to the church? How long will you be a part of this selfish society that's all about the praise of self, taking another selfie, working on self? How long is that going to keep going? Can't you see that Christ calls us to a better way of life? Friends, Jesus transforms us and heals us, not just at one day gloriously in physical, but our souls are healed by him so that we might have the privilege to serve God in ways that he alone gets the glory. He, didn't, he hasn't worked in your life so that you would live for yourself. He saved you unto good works. 
man. He's not calling you to do something he has not done first himself. Peter, his mother-in-law, she gives the proper response of a disciple to Jesus uh, in the text, serving the master as she was able. And don't, if you, you may, there's some, there's some other things you really need to grab on this morning, but don't miss this, folks. In Mark's gospel, being the essence of discipleship is described in terms of service. You understand that's what it means to be a disciple? Mark 10, 43, 45, through 45. Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man, that ain't you and me. <laughs> even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come and give him for a bunch of perfectly good people. He gave, he gave his life as a ransom for a bunch of hateful, greedy, self-centered, uh, self-loving, uh, grumbling folks. That's humbling to know the Son of Man, the Son of God, came to do that for us. And her actions, by the way, if you'll keep reading in this chapter and on, are set in contrast with that of the disciples who call, who call Jesus' attention regularly to the crowds demanding more healings. They, they clearly don't understand things. You'll see that in the text. They are the knuckleheads of the New Testament, thick-headed. They appear to be tone-deaf to Jesus' words and examples throughout the gospel. So let the readers see that the, the authors of the New Testament, this is, this is going to help you, I believe, trust the Scriptures more. The authors, these ancient authors who never did this kind of stuff, by the way, of the New Testament are painfully obvious about their failings and how women who were not highly viewed in ancient times are portrayed often as the more righteous. This testifies to the trustworthiness of this ancient account, how honest they were. No one, who would write like this back then? Nobody who wanted to save face. But this is the testimony of truth. The insensitivity and misunderstanding of the male disciples will become increasingly evident in Mark. This is not in my manuscript, but one of the funniest things in the Bible, it's comical episodes, is in Luke 9 when transfiguration is happening and Peter <laughs> brings up about making tents. And Luke just puts in there, he didn't know what he was talking about. It's just really funny that side comment like, oh, bless Peter. He just whew, went right by him. This is not to bash men, but to highlight how God uses those that often mankind would overlook. That's what I'm talking about. It's not to bash men, because there are going to be men whose, whose response are respi- uh, surprising in Mark. It's to highlight how God uses those that often people around overlook. Doesn't that sound like Paul in 1 Corinthians to, to the church? With God's pleasure in choosing to save and use those whom Humanity would not, so that God gets all the glory. Brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, consider your calling from God to Christ. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, 
our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, do you feel rejected and outcast by the world yet? Hang on, you will. Maybe you don't have a lot of friends. Maybe you feel rejected by family. Well, in all things, praise God. He can use that to magnify himself in ways that you could not imagine. Don't expect people to admire you and don't live your life for that. Don't be drawn into Satan's trap that you need more likes online to feel better about your day. Don't be needy for people, but be needy for Christ. Don't paint yourself as some victim and wallow in self-pity about how unloved you are. Go to Jesus who shed his blood for you. Stop looking for people's approval and admit you are worse than people often think you are because God knows everything about you and pray that God would use your low position for his glory. Give yourself to Christ. God is glorified not in glory hounds, but in those who honestly humble themselves before the Lord, who forget themselves and get caught up in him and in serving others. Jesus is transformative. He really is. Let's go to the second point. Our world is afflicted and decaying without hope. Therefore, trust in Christ alone who can restore. Point number two, hope. Jesus restores as only God can. Jesus restores as only God can. Looking at 32 through 34 in the passage. The first subpoint here is feel the desperation of the people. Look at the text. That's the first subpoint. Feel the desperation of the people. What were the results of his miracles? Well, when the Sabbath had ended at sundown, that was that's how the Sabbath worked. It's, Began on the, it began in the evening, it, 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 uh, it ended at, there at sundown, and the whole city showed up at Peter's door. And one of the characteristics of Mark's gospel is to show that the crowd embodies a suffocating atmosphere. In fact, Jesus has to retreat because they're, they're not getting the teaching. They just only want this aspect. I mean, but can we not identify with their desperation for physical healing? Some of you know ongoing, long-standing pain and illness, autoimmune diseases, I mean, abundant pain and difficulty, ongoing uh, mental anguish, suffering, spiritual oppression. We can understand the desperation here, can't we? Can't we feel their pain? The question of healing, whether it's prohibited on the Sabbath, will arise shortly in Mark chapter 3. But we know from reading later that it was quite sad how they were feel fearful that carrying the sick to Jesus on the Sabbath would be a violation of the law. And the people of verse 32 brought their sick and afflicted. The verb indicates they kept on bringing people to him. So they, he likely went to sleep at a very late hour. And verse 32 marks a, a good, again, clear distinction between the diseased and the demonized. Satan could cause physical affliction, but not all sickness is caused by demonic power. 
And note also, we have no indication that Jesus himself went out looking for patience. He wasn't trying to build a business in that sense. People in desperation were being brought to him, taking the initiative to bring folks to Christ, approaching him themselves. And I think there's something here, though, in application for us as believers. People brought Jesus their needy. Do we do this? Do we do this in prayer? Do we go to the people in our lives who open up to us about their suffering and tell them about Christ and offer that we will pray for them? I mean, doesn't Satan want us to be mute in prayer and not bring these things to God in prayer? Or to despair and give God the, the silent treatment because he hasn't acted on our behalf the way we wanted him to? Friends, would our, would our neighbors know about Christ if it depended on us? Jesus helps because of his deep love and compassion, though, for people. And that's the difference between a compassionate shepherd and a hireling, is the true shepherd's authentic concern for the sheep. So just to be clear, Jesus is not engaged in a healing campaign because, you know why? It's not the second coming. That's the healing campaign that's going to be global, entire cosmos. That's the real healing campaign. The first thing he's about is teaching and coming to suffer the work of the cross, which brings about the healing. Healing and exorcism, important as they were in his total ministry, arose not so much by design <coughs> as from, though from, from a natural response to needs as he encountered them. And it boosted people's desire to benefit from his unique authority. But we must be aware of reading 32 through 34 as simply a success story. That would be an elementary way of reading it. The people are not coming to Jesus for the reason he wants them to come. They come for relief from physical ailments. Not, we don't know all of them for sure, but a lot of them. And Jesus came to preach the kingdom, the dominion of God. And often people do not see, though, the real need for his authority and feel their desperate need for his work on their behalf at the cross. Jesus, make my life better. Give me more money. Grant me more success, make me feel better. They don't understand. If you want Christ, you truly want him, then you need his work for you on the cross. That's what he came to teach and to preach and to do. The crowds often merely wanted the temporary fix for their problems. And maybe that's you. Is that what you expect? Is, is religion the same for you today? Do you show up to church merely to get something out of it? But did you come also to praise God and to love his people? I'm so sick of consumerism making its way into the church. Well, what can you do for me today? Nothing. But I know the one who can help you and your heart. His name is Jesus. Don't look for me to give you something. You go to Christ because that's who I'm going to preach. I am hopeless and helpless to help anybody in my power and strength. We come to gather to worship him and to obey him. And Mark wants us to see as we go that the miraculous actions are paired alongside his teaching. More than healing for their current troubles, the people needed to be restored to God for, uh, and forgiven for their sins. Our greatest need is not merely physical healing. Our true desperation is the problem of sin in our hearts. 
We are all sick and sore. We have to admit we don't love God in truth. We love ourselves. And the signs and wonders point to the need for total redemption and salvation through faith in Christ alone. Second subpoint. See the, the kindness of Christ. See the kindness of Christ. Verse 34a. Jesus healed many who had diseases and drove out many demons. The miracles in this section reveal that Jesus is not someone who is aloof, inaccessible, or detached. You know, our culture today, especially, especially today, does not touch, and many people live in isolation from others, happy, oh, happy to social distance, if they were to be honest. When social distance rules came out, many people were like, I got that. That's easy. I'll happily do it. Our culture seals itself off from one another for all kinds of sadly and sh sad and shameful reasons. Cultural reasons, ethnic reasons, political reasons, you name it. The church is sometimes, though, in, you know, friends, in danger of doing the same by relating to only be with, you know, other Christians. We can bubble ourselves in. And the sad reality is there are plenty of harsh realities of a disease-ridden, sin-sick world around us that we need to pay attention to. We want others quarantined from us at times so they won't infect us. But those who bear the name of Christ need to minister in the name of their Lord to those who are the untouchables in our society. There are people all around us who function as if one more night of drunkenness, one more night of pornography use, one more night of drug use, and one more night of just endless entertainment streaming will just eventually end well for them. They just keep on the same, doing the same thing over and over, and somehow that's just going to end well. They believe that. There are people who think that the butchers of Planned Parenthood have their best interest at heart. There are folks who are steeped in hatred and class warfare and the rage of cultural Marxism fueled by demonic influence. Friends, let me ask you this. Who are you praying for around you? Who are you asking the Father to help you get to Jesus? You say, I can't reach this person. Ask God to help you or to get someone there who can help get them to Christ. Friends, there are crisis pregnancy centers like CareNet that seek to help mothers out of wedlock keep their children rather than abort them. You can serve there. There are parents, perhaps, even in this church, who would love for you to invest in spiritual conversations with their youth alongside them in difficult situations. I mean, that's just a couple of examples. The field, if you can't tell, is huge. But the laborers are few. Pray and the Lord will guide you, friends. If you pray earnestly, he will guide you to bring others to our kind Lord. Last subpoint: See the true hope of Christ. 34b. See the true hope of Christ. Jesus has the power to restore. No one on earth can do this. Who else can give such hope? God's kingdom is breaking in through Jesus. That's what you should be seeing. There's a breaking in of the kingdom and his reign. And praise God, he's chosen to reclaim his creation because of his great love for those he created. You know, Isaiah promised this great comfort. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people. And the miracles here are intended to give us a picture of what is to come when the fullness of God's kingdom 
That is when Christ fully and finally asserts his authority and reign over the earth. So just an application here to think on today is how we perceive miracles. When we consider the healing miracles in the New Testament, should we doubt as if the same power of God cannot work today? No. In fact, James 5 calls on the church leaders to pray over those who are sick and expect healing unless God reveals otherwise. We should pray for God's intervention and power to be at work. But we are also to trust and pray in confidence. We know he has the right to say yes or no, and we, we are just, just keep praying. We need to remember that God takes us through trials and does not always deliver the way we would hope him to in the flesh. Sometimes he takes us through trials to produce greater dependence on him at a, deep, at a deeper level of maturity, which James also talks about in James 1. You know, friends, this life is a testing ground for eternity for us believers. We should pray for healing, but we should pray especially, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done right now on earth as it is in heaven. Whether that his will is, will be, is, is best accomplished through sickness or health, through life or death, it's for God to decide. So in this age, this is what we will continue to experience. Spiritual warfare, pain, sickness, and suffering. If it hasn't dawned on you, we, we still live in a world of suffering and pain. And we'll see later on in this gospel that our suffering actually increases in this world as a result of trusting in Christ. We still live in a world of darkness. Governments still oppress people. Immorality still destroys lives. Homes and the roles of husbands and wives and parents are rejected. Citizens still care more about niceness from leaders than they do about horrific demonic policies. We live in a world where racism and resentment grows on every side and every tribe, where people are consumed with vanity for their identity where children are somehow the state's main responsibility, where people with drug charges suffer long sentencing and sex criminals get slapped on the wrist, where media outlets are paid to stir up confusion, resentment, and dissension. This is the world. The New Testament shows us, though, that Jesus' reign has broken in. And one day it will be consummated when he returns in glory. So which side are you on? Brothers and sisters, hang on, because Christ is coming back. And our hope should not ever, ever be in this world or in some leader of this world or in some even Christian leader, because they fall. Get your hope placed fully on Christ, whose reign will be forever and ever. The healings and deliverances from darkness through the ministry of Jesus and those experienced in our day are the first fruits, the down payment of the final experience of deliverance. Now look at verse 34. This is interesting. The demons, it says, knew who he was. They had a deep awareness of his power and holiness to judge them all. We know that. These fallen angels who followed Satan in droves are privy to supernatural persons and events. So they know who Jesus is. Why does that matter? Well, his mission is not merely physical, beloved, being played out on the stage of human history. It's also, come on, so much of being a preacher is getting the folks to think bigger. you got to think larger. 
It's cosmic. His mission is cosmic, one that concerns spiritual forces of good and evil. The dominion of Satan versus the kingdom of God is on display here. And Jesus silenced them. He silences them because their confession would mislead the people about his purposes. The demons wanted to obscure the truth and keep the people focused on worldly, fleshly priorities. And most of the Jews only wanted a, a, a mighty warrior Messiah who would drive out the Romans. Again, small, <laughs> think larger. He's so much more. He can't, the Romans aren't anything for him. He's driving out demons. Just for our information, Jesus later prevents his disciples from proclaiming him as Messiah in chapter 8 because they don't grasp the truth fully yet. Time will come for such public confessions, but not yet. And so Jesus is the strong one who binds Satan, causing him to lose power and authority. And this is something only God can do. And the Bible lets us know that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So look at the term, drove out. Verse 34, it means to expel. This is a forced exit by a greater power. It's like mom and dad, we have to kick kids out of the room. You're out. <laughs> or, no, it's much stronger than that. This is a military expelling, right? This is a powerful, you're out. As the stronger one who plunders Satan's house or kingdom, Jesus begins the liberation of the new people in himself. His activities are manifestations of the kingdom of God, that is the powerful presence of God. And the nature of his identity and power could not be properly understood, though apart from his obedient death on the cross, because there God would pay the price for his people's sins against himself. You see, we need to be saved by God from God. We need to be saved by God from God. Let me finish with this. Are you sick of pain and suffering? Isaiah said the suffering servant would bring healing. By his wounds, Isaiah 53, we are healed. But, he always, but Isaiah attached it to the root problem, the root problem of sin. The healing of creation and God's people's sufferings would have to be dealt with at the root of the problem. All suffering in the world ultimately goes back to sin. Or before sin came into the picture, there was no suffering, according to Genesis 1 and 2. But when sin entered the world in Genesis 3, suffering entered the world, and as a result, we live in a world marked by evil, suffering, sickness, and pain. So you have to deal with suffering's root problem, and it is sin. That's the way to deal with, finally, is in the death of God's Son in payment for his people's sins. So in order for Jesus to heal this world, and broken people, he has to do more than mere temporary fixes. He has to deal with the root, and that's why we see him eager to preach the good news and why he went to the cross for the joy that was set in front of him. When he came to die on a cross, he came to address the root problem, which is not suffering. The root problem is sin. Jesus took on the sin debt of his people to overcome their sin through offering himself as their sinless substitute, because he never disobeyed, never sinned. He offered himself in their place to pay for their sins so they could be free from sin's penalty, which is death and eternal suffering in hell. And Jesus was raised on the third day as the promised 
as promised, to show God accepted payment for the sins of any and all, whosoever would repent and believe in Christ, so they would no longer know the guilt of sin and the power of sin and one day be free from the presence of sin and free from pain and suffering. Do you know how desperate we all should be in truth because of our sin against God? You see, the people are running there desperately. That should be you and me, spiritually. We have rebelled against God with our loves and with our lives. We have often proclaimed Him to, um, to proclaim to, to God what He owes us somehow for the pathetic good we've done in disconnection from Him and His glory. Friend, do you see how kind God is in Christ? Are you ready to start living that Jesus Christ is your only hope? I plead with you, you don't know Christ. Today's the day that you need to turn from your sin and put your trust in this one. If you put your trust in Christ, God will forgive you and cleanse you. He'll take you to heaven. He'll restore you completely. Come to Christ. Give him your entire life. Do it now. Don't wait another day. Why waste another day? He deserves your life and he is worthy of it. Let's pray. Lord, what hope we get when we read these passages of Scripture. Oh, the hope of being fully restored. The joy of being restored even now into serving the King of Kings. Father, we pray you would cause us to walk in such service and to live out such hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are desperate for you. You are the mighty one. You are kind, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the joy of knowing you in Jesus' name.